You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. Welcome to the Locked On Hornets podcast. We are coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales. Make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked On Hornets. You can find me on Twitter at Walker Mail and Doug Branson at Doug Branson NBA. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Visit LockedOnSports.com to check out all of our Locked On podcasts on the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, and fantasy sports. Before we dive in real quickly, just a bit of news. We will be moving to Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays now. We will be going just three days a week. We won't be going daily, week daily, I should say. So we're going to skip out. We're going to party on Tuesday and Thursdays and miss out on the podcast we'll be doing Mondays Wednesdays and Fridays now just the offseason trying to get some content at least scrummed up together with those Tuesdays and Thursdays that we'll have off to to try to get that information for you on the days that we will be doing the podcast and then it'll pick up of course once some more Hornets news starts to break a little bit more we start to get closer to the season and then within those three days a week that we're doing the podcast we'll be doing a lot of draft talk up until the draft comes to us in June so that's basically what you can be expecting from the podcast as we go forward but again just moving to three days a week with Doug and myself bringing you a Again, three days a week until we get back on track as the Hornets season comes a little bit closer. So a few things to talk about here today, kind of just a collage of little Hornets tweets, some Hornets news here and there. Nothing too big going on over the weekend for the Charlotte Hornets, mainly the focus going more towards the Boston and Cleveland series, of course, with Golden State and Houston as well. The NBA playoffs getting a lot of attention, but some Hornets news breaking. We'll talk to we'll talk about. The Kurt Heelan article that he discusses, the Hornets were not the only team offered the quote-unquote godfather offer of picks by the Boston Celtics. There were actually other teams that turned that offer down too. And Doug, I know you're shocked to hear that a couple of other teams actually did the same thing the Hornets did. But it's not just the Hornets, Doug. Believe it or not, a couple of other teams actually turned down that offer from the Boston Celtics. So I know you're shocked. Well, 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 here we are. Here to celebrate. We believe me this being report. Right. We don't believe the Zach Lowe report. I believe this, this report because it confirms what I believe. So take that, Zach. We're not here for your nonsense. Kurt Heelan. I've always been a Kurt Heelan fan anymore, anyway. So we will talk about Kurt Heelan's article about that. Uh, the combine happened over the weekend. We'll discuss some of the guys that balled out, some of the guys that actually look a little bit more athletic in the underwear. At the underwear Olympics, I should say. We talk about it all the time in the NFL, but the NBA probably a little bit more justifiable because they're not wearing pads, even in the game. So we'll talk about the combine and who impressed there, maybe who's moving up a lot of these mock drafts again, and who maybe the Charlotte Hornets could look at because of the improved stock at the combine. But a bit of news as well for the Charlotte Hornets. They do hire an assistant coach, Jay Triano. 
former Phoenix Suns interim head coach after taking over for Earl Watson. Earl Watson fired basically within the first three games of the season. He gets the axe after an historic couple of losses in a row. What was it, like a 90-point deficit combined with a couple of those losses that they had at the beginning of the season? Eric Bledsoe tweeting, I don't want to be here. It wasn't from the barbershop. It was actually about that Phoenix organization. Just a mess. Uh, A mess is as big a mess you can start off with at that season. Earl Watson is gone. So Triano tries to take over gets 21 wins but that's about it he gets out now he is an assistant with the Hornets and is a coach that has had coaching experience that is going to be the assistant to JB James Borrego for the Hornets it's pretty incredible how quickly that situation in Phoenix unraveled and and I really think about it makes me think about the time that Steven Silas uh, took over for the Charlotte Hornets that little bit of time that he had but I think it's pretty amazing that the team held together as well as it did. He didn't get a lot of W's, but that, there were a lot of reasons for that. Um, but the team did not unravel, and, and it's so easy for that to happen, and I think that Phoenix situation proves it. And Jay, again, Jay Triano does have head coaching experience beyond the interim head coaching experience he had in Phoenix. He did coach the Toronto Raptors pre-Dwayne Casey, and he wasn't great. He had a couple of 20-win seasons. It, those weren't good. In between the three seasons that he had, uh, the middle one, he had 40, and that was Chris Bosh's last year. So when then Chris Bosh left, that team took a real hit. The next season, it was DeMar DeRozan's, I think it was his first breakout year. Andre Bargnani was averaging 20 a game. He was the leading scorer. That's never good for an NBA franchise when Bargnani is your leading scorer. And DeRozan, just a second-year player, is your 17 points per game kind of guy. So then he gets the axe from Toronto, and then again, the only other head coaching experience he got was last year in Phoenix. Well, well that's fair because 60 wins is not good enough for Toronto. No, you, think, you think Jay looks at that situation? 59, and goes, Doug. Be fair. <laughs> he didn't quite get to 60. Excuse if, if they would have got 60, then maybe he's there. But you know what? You got to win. You got to win in this league in 60 wins. If you don't get it done, it proves to not be enough. But you're right. Jay, uh, Jay Toronto getting that axe in Toronto. And probably, you know, fine. You know, Dwayne Casey, they made that higher. As he was an assistant for the Dallas Mavericks, he got that job, and Triano was on the outside looking in. Made a couple of stops. Uh, also coached with Portland, I believe. Coached uh, was an assistant coach for them as well. So head coaching experience. I don't know if I make anything of it, Doug. I don't know if this is really all that big of a storyline. The biggest thing I think you make is that you bring in a guy with experience. You bring in somebody who has at least been the head signal caller of a basketball team before, head decision maker of a basketball team before, at least what happens on the court. And you pair him with a guy who has never done that before besides his interim head coaching experience with Orlando. To me, I I don't think I would have looked at him in the past and say, well, you know, Toronto's team wasn't very good, but he's a pretty good coach. Well, Phoenix, I mean, he's been dealt some bad situations and so be it. I think this is kind of just a hire that is a guy that's older. He's a veteran. And it probably makes some sense for them. And that's all about that's all I have on Jay Triano. Not exactly a whole lot. You can dive into it. That's basically all I make of the decision to make him the assistant coach. Is there anything else, Doug, that you have on Jay Triano? Or is that about the kind of same thing that you got? Uh, great tie selections. Looks great in yeah. a suit. Uh, he's out there. He's communicated with young players before in Phoenix. Hey, it's a it's a fine hire. <laughs> the old the old man game is strong with a suit. Like he could suit up a little bit. Barney would be happy with him. So yeah, you that's about it for Jay Triano. So we'll move on 
Um, not a whole lot of other Charlotte Hornets news breaking. But again, we will get to Kurt Heelan's article. We'll take a quick break. Then we'll get to Kurt Heelan's article. We'll let Doug sound off. I'm sure the mic is going to be blazing when Doug gets back on it. Got a lot of anger. He wasn't able to take in his time with Des Moines, Iowa, the just fantastic city of Des Moines, Iowa, that he spent a lot of his time probably served as a vacation for you, spending all that time up there in the Midwest corn country for you. So he'll have a lot of takes for you on this Kurt Heelan thing. We'll take a quick break when we come back. More on the Godfather offer that was offered to the Charlotte Hornets and maybe a couple of other teams as well. This is a Locked on Hornets podcast. I'm Walker Mail alongside Doug Branson. You are listening to the Locked on Hornets podcast. The one draft pick you hit on was Kimba Walker, and you, you drafted Bismack Biombo before him. Oh! You got it right the second time, which is great. I am too smart. SMRT. But you drafted Biombo before Kimba Walker. So, <laughs> again, you almost messed that one up as well. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Well, and I'm an idiot, Doug. I keep saying Kurt Heelan. It's not Kurt Heelan's article. Did you know this and just do one of those things where you don't tell me and you kind of let me fall off the cliff no, by myself? No, I assumed it was it was Helan's article. Did, I did tell you it was Helan's article. So here I, I, am I believed you. Pulling a stew gods, blaming everyone else for my mistakes. That's but, right. No. Yeah. Is it on me? <laughs> no, it is. It is on me. It is on me. No, it's actually Dan Feldman's article. So Kurt Helan just tweeted it out. It is written by Dan Feldman, and it's also on Bill Simmons. It's so I listen. It comments. is incredibly difficult to tell who wrote anything originally because all of these networks they tweet each other out and you just assume that this guy has the info well and i read the article but it's such fine print with these names up at the top i figure oh kurt healan tweets it out it's like nine point font i feel like it's at if nine i mean that's being generous i feel like kurt tweets it out then i read on i read it and then i was like okay good article by kurt healan and then it's comments by bill simmons of course so it's we're going through about three different avenues to get to the one guy that I just said, oh, he tweets it out. He must have wrote it. But I did read it. I feel like I I didn't do my due diligence, obviously, enough, but I felt I did enough to get that name. But it's actually Dan Feldman. So Dan Feldman, I apologize. He's a fan. I, he's not a fan of the podcast. I would say he's a friend of he's the been show. On, he's been on the show. Right. And I know he's done the show, and I know he's also, I've talked to him. Might not do it anymore. Quite a bit. No, and we're, we're saving it. <laughs> I think we're saving it. I'm giving, by the way, Dan Feldman, he's probably the best NBA writer out there. Kurt Heelan, probably a close second, but Dan Feldman, number one. So we apologize, Dan, but this is his article, actually. So he does go into what that trade offer was, however many so years ago, three or four, that Frank Kaminsky was a guy, Frank Kaminsky was a guy that was drafted by the Charlotte Hornets. But instead of drafting Frank, they could have done something else, and that is accept a trade offer from Danny Ainge and the Boston Celtics, and it was reported by Zach Lowe originally. So again, wanting to get Justice Winslow, the Celtics, they offered six picks. This is all reportedly. They offered six picks to the Hornets, including four potential first-rounders for the number nine pick that eventually saw Frank Kaminsky drafted to the Hornets. So they rejected him, took Frank the tank. We've talked about it ever since. But again, it has left a lot of Hornets fans with some speculation on this. That perhaps, I don't know that it wasn't true, but that it's so beat down on Charlotte that a couple of other teams were probably offered that as well because of their adamant 
offer to get, try to move up to try to get Justice Winslow. And so that actually came to fruition for us today. So Dan Feldman, in his article, he does quote Bill Simmons of the Ringer on the Low Post podcast. says, I, I know the Pistons passed on it. This is Bill Simmons talking. I know the Pistons passed on that offer, whatever it was, 8, 9, or 10 that they had that year. It would have been 8. It was the Pistons passed. They offered the same thing, but they wouldn't even talk about it because the Pistons wanted to take Stanley Johnson. They wanted their guy. They wanted their guy, so they did not take the Godfather offer, which is, I, however, whatever re- reference that offer. The ninth pick was Charlotte. Jordan, and this is, this is Bill Simmons' comments, by the way. Quote, Jordan couldn't figure it out in time and finally didn't do it. So they pass on those four picks, one of which would have been Jalen Brown. Another one would have been Terry Rozier. I don't believe that. I just love that Jordan couldn't figure it out in time. And this is a guy, by the way, on Bill Simmons, who loves Michael Jordan, still has him the number one, the greatest player of all time, even with all of this LeBron-Michael debate that Jordan couldn't figure it out in time. Like he just, it was too much. Boom, my brain explodes. I can't, I can't deal with this right now. Let's take Frank the Tank. So pretty funny. And also, real quick before we let you go off, Doug, and then the 10th pick, I'm they, chomping. they called Pat Riley, and Riley just laughed and hung up on him. And Riley was like, quote, no, I'm taking Justice Winslow. I'll talk to you guys later, end quote. All because Boston wanted Justice Winslow. Now, Danny Ainge, revered as probably the best GM in all the NBA right now, and it could have looked a lot different had either of these teams actually made that offer with them including the Charlotte Hornets, who eventually take your boy, Doug, Frank Kaminsky. Well, so let's let's talk about a couple of things. First of all, I think this report, again, if you believe it, I think it confirms a lot of what I believed about this situation, which is that other teams wanted to take their guy and not get hoodwinked by Danny Ainge and the Celtics. They didn't want to have happen to them what the Celtics pulled on the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, by the way, Brooklyn Nets, that third pick, the, 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 the Nets pick that they had, I still don't believe that that was part of the Godfather offer. Now, Bill Simmons supposes it is. That's, what he mentioned, that's why he mentions Jalen right. Brown there. But I still don't believe that that pick was offered. You know why? Because I don't think Pat Riley hangs up the phone on a possible number one overall pick, which is what that Nets pick looked like it was going to be. And I don't think that three teams hang up the phone or can't figure it out if you have the possibility of a future top three picks. So why why are people thinking that then? I mean, because then it is quite literally mentioning people. Go ahead, Doug. Because because Ainge leaked it because that's what Ainge wants people to believe. Ainge wants people to believe that other teams just were stupid and did not take his deal. And it was the best deal ever. But then Danny ever. Ainge looks stupid for offering all of this. Like no, he's no, hurting no, himself. A, no, Ainge looks great because he says, look, I did everything I could. I had to use these picks. And then, of course, Terry Rozier ends up working out for him. And now he's a genius because he took Terry I Rozier. I disagree. And it that, always works out for Danny Ainge. But it doesn't look great for Danny Ainge in the respect. I get you that he's trying to help these other people. But to say that even the thing that he did so well, he tried to get rid of it. Like even I tried to get rid of all of this stuff. And I just kind of fell backwards into all of this. It just doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense because it's taking his own persona down. But you have to remember the context around that draft. Everyone was talking about what would Danny Ainge do with all of those picks? Was he really going to use all of those draft picks? No. You you know, you had a team on the precipice of being great and with a lot of draft picks, people wa- like people in Boston wanted those draft picks gone in exchange for a veteran player like a Jimmy Butler or someone like that, he was trying to pull off a deal, and, and Chicago said no, too. Chicago said, no, we're keeping Jimmy Butler. 
Right. And I was just the thing about it to me is I can't wrap my head around it. I get the context of all that. It's still it's still hard for me to wrap my head around that Danny Ainge wants us to think that, no, I actually really tried to screw this up. I mean, because that that's what it essentially would be. Right. I mean, if you don't have that pick and you don't get Jalen Brown or you don't have Terry Rozier and let's say the Pistons accept that pick or let's say anybody does. Right. And then the Boston Celtics don't have those kind of guys. And I get the context that you're saying. It's just it's interesting to me that Danny Ainge would be so aggressive that, no, I tried to get rid of this. And this is the hand that I was dealt. Pat myself on the back for not fault for not getting rid of it. Right. Because at the time, no, again, at the time, we didn't know that Stanley Johnson was not going to pan out. At the well, time, that's true. we didn't know that Justice Winslow was not going to pan out. It was just, I'm telling you, the storyline around that draft was Danny Ainge has a lot of picks and they need to make a move to secure either a, a top 10 draft pick or get a veteran player. So your reports, at least, not your reports, but your at least your your hypothesis, it does get to seem, it at least seems true now with what Bill Simmons' comments was about this all, all of this thing going on. And it does make sense, right? Because it wouldn't have made sense for the Hornets to be the only team that the Boston Celtics had made that offer to. And it, it really, you are right about this. Like I, I completely agree with you that it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for them to offer the Brooklyn Nets pick and then everyone just not give them the time of day. But this plays into this whole sort of mythology, this anti-mythology about Michael Jordan as an NBA executive because of his time in Washington and the mistakes that were made there. People people take that and put that on him as an owner in Charlotte. I, there was a poll recently, I'll have to try to dig it up, but they polled NBA fans on like the worst NBA executives and, or worst NBA ownership and the Knicks were dead last and I think Charlotte was 29th. Right. No, it's Michael Jordan is not. I mean, again, I talked about this last week when you were gone, that Michael Jordan is considered to be the worst owner in the NBA or at least right there debating. I think the, you know, it was uh, Josh Peter, I believe, of USA Today discussing that the debate as of Michael Jordan and LeBron James is the greatest of all time. Just an interesting, just as interesting of a debate is James Dolan and Michael Jordan, the worst owner of all time, or at least currently. And I, I agree Which is with ridiculous. You. I agree with you that Michael Jordan probably gets a little too much hate because it is something where a lot of people put all of this on him. And it seems like ever since that Kwame Brown draft selection, the guy has not been able to dig himself out of that hole which it was a bad selection. I get it. But then you look at that draft, like Tyson Chandler would have been obviously the over the better pick because of his career, who was just a lot better. But were we sitting here saying, hey, look at the seven-footer out of Dominguez High School. That's the guy you got to take over Kwame. I don't think we were really saying that a whole lot. There's been a lot of mistakes Michael's made. Don't get me wrong. But I'm with you on the fact that maybe, just maybe, he's not the 30th owner in all of the NBA. Like that he's not the, in, the, in, in that realm of being the worst owner. I'm with you on that. Like perhaps maybe a little bit too much hate going on towards Michael Jordan. Perhaps a little bit. If you want to support our show and the amazing people that put it together, consider joining our Patreon community for as little as $1 a month. You can help us keep making the daily Hornets content that you've come to trust. Go to patreon.com slash LOH. There's a link in the description of this episode. You can get double the entries into our contest and access to content before anybody else. Patreon.com slash LOH. Every dollar goes to making this the best, best Hornets talk in Charlotte. We'll take another quick break. We'll come back, talk about the NBA combo over the weekend which guys impressed there which guys really helped their draft stock heading into the june draft this is locked on hornets podcast alongside doug branson i'm walker mail 
You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. And Doug, don't you have an Eldon Campbell like stuffed animal type thing? Yes, I do. I got it at the last regular season home game that they had before they left for New Orleans. I, look, I love me some Eldon Campbell, but is that, is they, that the they guy? were just they were clearing everything out of the house because it was whatever they gave to the fans that night. They didn't have to take with them to New Orleans. Get more Hornets analysis on LockedOnHornets.com. Welcome back to the Locked On Hornets podcast. I'm Walker Mail. Doug Branson back from Iowa. I can't even say state's names, right? Back from Des Moines, Iowa. We appreciate you joining us today. Discussed a little bit about that Dan Feldman article. Of course, NBC, NBC Sports discussed what the God offer off the Godfather offer was from the Boston Celtics to the Charlotte Hornets. Also referencing that they actually did make that offer, at least some form of that offer, to the Detroit Pistons and even the Miami Heat. We discussed Jay Triano coming on board with the Charlotte Hornets coaching staff. JB making that probably the first big hire, at least of his assist, if you can call it a big hire of his assistant coaching staff. So a couple of those things mentioned already today, but the NBA Combine going on last week or this weekend. And a couple of guys making a name for themselves. Dante DiVincenzo was a guy that really impressed in the combine. Probably the number one takeaway from a guy that really improved his stock. It seems like I'm seeing him more so than everyone else, at least. Now, reports do look like he's going to go back to Villanova. But I feel like that's been the guy that's been beaten in our heads, that he was the most impressive as far as a guy that improved the most with their draft stock. And we all saw him in the most uh, win the most outstanding player of that national championship game some other guys impressed as well but we have some we I, I don't want to talk about the guys that really impressed and that were crazy athletic I'm going to talk about the fat guys so Charlotte Charlotte North Carolina they get to boast the fattest player ever to come in at the combine both, both by both by weight and body fat percentage, and which is fantastic. I want if they're going to be fat, I wanted them to take both crowns. I don't want just one crown taken. I want both of them. So this guy, Doug, what's his name again? Chris Marcus uh, went to school at Western Kentucky. Uh, this, so this is taken from data from Jared Dubin uh, on Twitter, and uh, he compiled a database here. The data only goes back to two thousand, so we're talking about the past. Uh, nearly two decades. So there could have been players that came in earlier than that. But we're talking about modern draft combine history here. Yeah, 334 for Chris Marcus and then a body fat percentage of 23.1%. That's a big boy. How tall was he? He was a seven footer. So seven footer, but 334 pounds. And the percentage, it's it's hard to hide from the percentage. Yeah. I mean, and- if the percentage gives it to you, you can't just blame it on big bones. It's not like you're just tall. Like the percentage, it lets us everyone know that you're just kind of big. A couple of other names, uh, Desanya Jop. I don't know how to say his first name. Jop. Former Bobcat. That's right. Dexter Pittman. Remember him? Oh, man, he was big. Yes, he was uh, with the Miami Heat, played at Texas. He was good in college, but also very big. Yeah. 302 pounds, 20.8% body fat. <laughs> did uh, This will not surprise you, did not do the lane agility drill. No, I, I can't imagine that anybody would learn anything differently if uh, he did that drill. Eddie Curry comes in at 8th. That's not a big surprise. DeMarcus Cousins, though, also 291, right below Eddie Curry, and a 16.4% body fat. So he was a big boy, too. So I looked it up. Like, the best fat basketball players of all time. Like, can we go just the fattest or the best fat guys? I'm looking them up. And guys that come immediately to mind. Eddie Curry was a guy that came to mind when we were talking about this. 
Oliver Miller, for some reason, sticks out in my mind more so than any. I just remember watching those Phoenix Suns teams and thinking, man, that guy, it, it felt like his arms were crazy disproportionate to his body. In the finals against Michael Jordan in 1993, that was a that was a fat dude. Yeah, you can't be the greatest or one of the great fat basketball players of all time if your fatness eventually led to your demise, I think. That's, I mean, that's the thing with Eddie Curry. Like, his weight ultimately helped end to end his NBA career. So the best fat, I mean, who, who are some other guys? Like for me, I, I got a good one. I'll see if you can take this. You see if you take this. What about Zach Randolph? T- totally. Randolph. Like, like the best. Barkley. Like Zach Randolph was good, man. And he was fat. Now we can go to Shaquille O'Neal, which is interesting because Shaquille O'Neal, he got fat later on. He was an athletic freak. Then he got big. Then he was fat, and he also made an all-star appearance in Phoenix. He did get an all-star appearance where he was averaging about 18 points, and he was already big. So perhaps he's in that category. How about my man Bryant Reeves, Big Country? Big Country was great, man. Big, I don't know if he's the best fat basketball country, player yeah, of all time. But. Biscuits and gravy, everything. It was all there for the Vancouver Grizzlies. Like, do we, who, who are we settling on at first? Like, who's, who's first here? Because you have to be really good, too. If, if you're going to embrace the body you also and, and make all-star teams, right? I feel like that's the criteria we're looking I for. I feel like it's got to be Barkley. I mean, to, to, in terms of the most famous for... Sure, Barkley. It's going to be tough to beat Barkley. The guy was the round mound of rebound. The, the, the fat right. connotation he made was it, literally in the nickname. That's right. He made it a part of his branding. And, again, it did not... His fatness did not preclude him from greatness. And that's tough. No, it is. It is. You know who else is probably fatness came to his demise or caused his demise? And I'm looking this up right now, just looking up some of these guys. Jared Solinger got big. Like in Ohio State, I remember watching him in high school. The guy looked at least a little bit thin, but then Jared Solinger got big, and now he's out of the league. And he was decent for the Celtics, at least coming off the bench for Toronto. And then now he's out of the league and a guy that just got crazy big six nine ended up weighing 260 well back to that back to that uh that database from jared dubin i think that sullinger holds the record for slowest lane agility drill, yeah. <laughs> or possibly slowest three-fourth sprint i'm right. gonna look this up too but yes he he does hold some some bad distinctions there he was not very agile uh one more and then we'll move off of it what about uh big baby davis he's fat. that's a great one Big Baby Davis fat. Not like he was fantastic in the NBA or anything, but able to keep a career and still be pretty big. I'll give you one. Uh, this guy never really caught on in the NBA, but he was he was a big boy too. Do you remember Jason Keep from the University of San Diego? He broke a backboard. That's probably his most famous. I don't remember Jason I'm going to give you this video. He, he absolutely annihilated a, a backboard when he transferred. I think he transferred from San Diego to... Oklahoma State. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So he did this as a member of Oklahoma State. He was 280 pounds at the time, and uh, he had a bad uh, combine experience and ended up, he's in jail right now in Arizona. He tried to rob a, like a burlesque house, and now he's he's doing time. Yeah, well, that's unfortunate. Poor Jason Keep. I got a college guy, Tiny Gallon. Do you remember Tiny Gallon at all for Oklahoma? He was I like, don't. he was 275. 
He came in the league. He's probably about, what, 6'9", something like that. He what was a great too. name, Tiny Gallon. Well, of course. It's the classic, right? I mean, anybody who's huge. You get he to, broke a backboard, too. Yeah. New Year's Eve, 2009, Oklahoma versus Yes, Gonzaga. he did. Yes, he did. Watching this now. Now, if you break a backboard, I feel like that takes you to a new level of fatness. If you're breaking backboards, it can't just be the sheer power. It has oh, to be that you got some weight on. He broke a He didn't even dunk it. He broke the backboard because he goes up for the alley-oop. He missed the oop. And breaks the backboard just hanging on the rim. Worse or more impressive? <laughs> if you break it and you don't even slam it home. Probably that- even better because a lot of breaking the backboard is the intensity. You like you you dunk it and that just even fuels you harder so you pull right. it down. But this guy, he just... He didn't even make the dunk. It's like Hercules swinging the pillars around. Like you just don't know your own strength and eventually you just ruin the pottery shop. I mean, that's exactly what Tiny Gallon did with the basketball goal. So a Tiny Gallon living up there, at least in the college ranks of the best fat players of all time. I think I'm tapped out for fat play. Like I can't think of many more, but it seems like we mentioned all You're the full. best one. I'm full. full. Yes. I'm, uh, can you can you break a, backboards anymore? Is that even possible? I don't know. I don't think you can because and I saw this on Sports Science. Amari Stoudemire they brought in. Probably not the greatest guy ever to bring in for a break the backboard experiment, but Brinkus, right? Was it uh, Jason Brinkus, the guy for sports science? You remember this, right? The, the show Sports Science. Yeah, John, John, John Brinkus. Brinkus John think, Brinkus, yeah. thank you. John Brinkus. Dan Feldman. I they brought, yeah, I think Kurt <laughs> Heelan was on there for a little while. So they bring in Amari Stoudemire, and what it actually happens was they proved, they at least they, they proved in their words, that it was impossible because the energy is now transferred not with the backboard in between that and the goalpost, but that actually the bolts go through the goalpost so that it might shake and it goes to the base of the goal and it doesn't happen at all to the backboards. So that's how they proved that. And we haven't seen it in a while, right? At least in the NBA. I yeah, I wonder if it. it's if it's actually... I mean, I guess nothing is impossible. Uh, Kevin Garnett taught us that. Right. But not I wonder if it, right it, if it is unrealistic to... I mean, is there a player that could be fat enough... That that and and strong enough to to do that. Well, and especially to make it and in, in today's NBA, Doug, you're we're moving all to small ball. I mean, I don't yeah. think there's just any way that a fat guy is going to come in and be crazy productive. Like who? Derek Coleman was a good fat Marcus shooter. Saul, we haven't Mar- mentioned Marcus Saul is fat and a good shooter. But he's again, when you're talking about guys that play away from the rim, they're not going to have a lot of opportunities to dunk it and break the backboard. Like Marcus Saul doesn't strike me as a guy that's going to go up with two hands and slam it home. And neither Derek Coleman could. I don't know, man. We're we're I think we're moving away from the fat shooters even. Like Marcus Saul is the only guy I can think of. Well, because I mean, look at this Warriors Rocket series. It's just it's ping pong, man. It's just back and <laughs> forth, back and forth, back and forth. You you have to be in in crazy shape to be able to play elite NBA basketball today. And even with like Draymond Green and PJ Tucker were probably a little chubby, like they had a little bit of girth on them. But even with this kind of basketball, I feel like they've lost weight since their chubbier and pudgier days in the NBA. I feel like P.J. Tucker, ever since he got off Phoenix and then went to Toronto, his time in Houston, I feel like he's lost some weight there. So I feel like a couple of those guys, too, that are pudgier, just a little ping-pong basketball as well. Skinniest player to ever go into the draft into the draft combine since 2000 <laughs> was Tyler Eulis of Phoenix. Tyler Eulis, it didn't even strike me. You think Reggie Miller. So we, we can't go down this he's road. He's a though. tiny guy. We can't, we can't go down this anyway, road. Anyway, that's our draft anything, combine anything, analysis. Anything impre- like, yeah, that's that's what I got for you on the NBA combine. Anything else? <laughs> that's, thank you for joining us. No, um, I, I don't think there was anything that was all that record-breaking. I think Muhammad Bamba, he got a lot of attention for having a 7'10 wingspan. 
Now, now the Dallas Mavericks look like they're going to be taking him. If he does not go even higher than that, I know there's some yeah. people that think he might go higher. I'm, I agree with you. I don't think he will. Well, it, it has to bother you that Bamba goes and breaks all these combine records and still can't break the top three. I mean, there's there's got to be something there. Well, his offensive game is crazy limited. I mean, it's yeah. you know, I mean, it's not that he doesn't have a, a soft touch. I think he's got some, but his his value is is all on defense. Where if you're, I mean, you're dealing with DeAndre Ayton, who to me is as as skilled a big guy that's coming into this league that at that height, probably since I mean, probably since Anthony Davis. He's like Capella. You're going to have to wait a few years and surround him with who, the, Bob, great, Bob, the greatest right. shooting, yeah, yeah, to to make him effective. Well, and and he could and he could be just this crazy Rudy Gobert type player because of his length. And apparently, he impressed a lot of guys with his IQ. I know a lot of people are praising the kind of basketball IQ that he showed in the combine as well. So I mean, he'll he'll be a worthy top five pick, and at least defense. You 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 think that can you think that can translate at least? You're hoping so. I, I know it's tough. I know it didn't work for guys like Hashim to beat. I, I know there are some guys that it didn't work out for. But it, it looks like it could translate for Bamba. Here's the one thing that I hope that the Hornets do in this draft is take a player that doesn't fall like five or six spots to the Hornets. I just don't want another Noah Vonley situation. I'm not down on Malik Monk, but I, I don't want another Malik Monk situation where a guy uh, want, you know, wants to play in New York and ends up falling you know, seven, eight slots to the Charlotte Hornets and they, they end up grabbing him and thinking they got a steal. I'd love for them to either take a player uh, that I really want them to take a flyer on someone, to be perfectly honest, if they're going to keep these veterans. You almost want to see the reach because you want to believe they believe in somebody enough to take them at that spot. Yeah, let's go, Mitch. Let's go. Let's take a reach. Let's take a flyer. Let's use some of that that brilliant uh, drafting skill that you showed the last few years in in Los (laughs) Angeles. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, and I and I get that. I get that argument, right? You want them to believe in somebody enough to take them, rather than just have them take someone because they fell. I mean, again, if because you, <laughs> I mean, the Hornets, by all accounts, Donovan Mitchell was going to be the guy had Malik Monk not been there, and then all of a sudden we saw how that turned out. And I don't know how it would have been played out if Noah Vonley wasn't available, but he did become available. Number eight overall, I believe, for Vonley a couple of years ago. Maybe wow. 2014 was the year that he was drafted, and it was kind of the same thing in that regard. I mean, I like Zaire Smith. I mean, he came in at 6'2 at the Combine. Everyone thought he was 6'5, so that's obviously going to be an issue. Um, but he is, al- I think he'll already be an elite defensive player, and he has the athleticism that could you know, key a a future good offensive player as well. I I think he can be a a really solid two-way player or, or Shai Gilgis Alexander out of, out of Kentucky. I mean, he's slated right now at 14 by the ringer. I think if they go down there and get him and and pair him next to Monk, that could be a great selection. And and so real quickly, because of the potential guards that are going to be there, let me ask you this. How much does size matter at the two guard spot? Because when you look at Malik Monk, or at least at the point guard spot, I should say more appropriately, because Malik Monk being the 11th overall pick last season, where it's it's probably a guy you believe in more so than other 11 overall picks is you believe in Malik Monk a little bit more. The guy's small. His wingspan is also small. It's not one of these people that are 6'3", but his wingspan is 6'10". I mean, his wingspan is 6'3", too. So do you need somebody that comes in to provide size like a Shea Gilgis-Alexander, or if, if Trey Young were to fall to 11, is that somebody that you look at and want to pair him up with? Or a Zaire Smith, who is 6'2", or a Colin Sexton, who is 6'2". To me, I think size does matter at the point guard spot right now. I, I, I'm i hesitant to take somebody that that's small and pair him up. If I have a lot of belief in Malik Monk, 
If I believe that my starting backcourt is going to be Malik Monk plus whatever first-round guard I take, I think it has to matter because defensively, you've seen guys just get taken advantage of on that end. It, totally. I mean, size at multiple positions allows you to switch defensively. I mean, you look at that with Boston, uh, Houston, and Golden State. I mean, they have size at uh, almost every single position I- anytime they, they have five players on the court. And so uh, I think that I'm a little less hesitant about Zaire Smith if he is 6'2", because of how well he played defensively in college. I, I think he could be an Avery Bradley where he plays a little bigger defensively than his than his size but I do I totally get your point does it do you worry about it on offense at all I mean does is it just defensively that you're looking at the size do you mind having a couple of six two six three guys out there listen listen if if I mean I've seen the highlight reel for for Zaire like if he can jump 10 feet in the air then it doesn't matter if he if he's losing a couple inches on his on his guy yeah I I don't mind it as much on offense I I would like somebody bigger that's I I would favor Gilgis Alexander over those guys but I'm kind of with you on the offense just defensively defensively it scares me it does It, it leaves me hesitant to take some of those guys that are six two or shorter in the NBA draft. So that'll do it for today's Locked On Hornets podcast. Thanks for listening to us here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Locked On Hornets. Thanks again for joining us today. I'm Walker Mail, Doug Branson alongside me. Thanks again. We'll talk to you again uh, on Wednesday. Now we have the new format Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So stick around and we'll talk to you back on Wednesday.